over the past 20 years, I've worked with, I don't know, probably 100 different designers. But there's only one who has a framed print hanging in my library at my house. It's a gorgeous poster made for the movie John Wick. And it was created by Chris Cox of Change the Thought. Chris is one of the hardest working guys I know. From the outside, it seems like he's pursuing almost simultaneous careers. He's a designer, a creative director, an art director, a branding guru, a motion graphics animator, and most recently, a screenwriter. He's also one of the first guys I thought of when I decided to launch this podcast. I went to Chris's design studio to get his take on John Wick, a movie I assumed we both loved. Over the course of our rolling sort of two-hour conversation, we talked TV, we talked Mad Max, we talked about the future of design. John Wick, however, really didn't come up all that much. What did, and what kept coming back to me on the drive home, was something that I think Chris and I both share as almost an article of faith. If you put yourself out there and just keep throwing out the bravest, scariest ideas you possibly can, eventually, something good is going to happen. This is Optimism Delivers. Alright, so you've got the TV shows, right? You've got the movie posters, you've got design, you're creative directing for brands. We could always go back to advertising. Is, is the meta plan just to, like, scatter as much awesome stuff as you can and hope something catches fire? Like, what's the goal? I guess. I mean, I guess that's always been the plan. I, I don't know. I mean, I really want to make a TV show. I want to do something big that has, like, broad, uh, that has an effect, like a more measurable effect. I still, I feel bad that I haven't realized change in the thought yet, especially since I've owned that now for almost 15 years. I feel like there's mm -hmm. something huge inside of that, and it's definitely not just some dude with some cool portfolio. I don't know if I'll be the person that ever realizes what change of thought is, but I chose that name for a reason and I've held on to it now for so long that it's it's mine, you know, it's I put the trademark after it mm -hmm. so many times that, that that's mine now. And I own all those domains, I own like 16 of them, you know, <clears throat> so I really do hold the keys with change of thought, but change of thought needs to be something, you know, important. And I thought I was going to do that with a blog, and I kept thinking about relaunching it to be like Mashable or something, mm -hmm. more about the creative lifestyle, but about how the creative lifestyle is about changing other people's thinking and ideas, you know, and, and I don't know, but I just feel like there's something with the TV, TV thing, I don't know. I did a landmark a couple of years ago, and in landmark, you have to do this, this thing where you talk about what you think you want to do in the future and I just said that I wanted to write a TV show and like immediately after that I just really like started doing that. I just feel like with TV and movies there's something in there where you can plant an idea in someone just like that documentary we were talking about. Mm -hmm. You can watch something. It's a conception. It can change you. I mean it really can change you. It can set you off down on the road. Just like Fury Road everybody got so into that movie because you know it had that concept baked into it which was this layer that you didn't expect where, you know, patriarchal culture, patriarchal culture destroyed the world because men are inherently kind of irresponsible and violent and nuts and oversexed and everything else. And women were going to have to be the people that took it back and that maybe that's a pendulum that's swinging, you know, that we, we, we're not aware of because we've only lived in the patriarchal culture for as long as we have. We haven't seen the matriarchal culture on our planet yet. But there's a lot of people think that there was one in, in the past, and we're just going through a different period. But that was something really interesting that that movie introduced inside of like a dumb apocalyptic 
action movie. Nobody expected that. So you can put big ideas in there. And I, I took note of that. I mean, that guy's 71 years old. And I was like, wow, he, he wants, he's trying to say something, you know? But he's using an action movie as the, the vehicle. Whether it's Mad Max or John Wick, genre fiction is obviously a huge way to spread big, culture-changing ideas. It also gives birth to things like the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack, a clip from which you're listening to right now. But you don't want to spend your whole life just creating art that helps someone else spread their vision. Sooner or later, you want to spread your own. And Chris has a bunch of ideas for TV shows. And when I say a bunch, I mean a fuck ton. The, the entertainment type stuff that we want to introduce very deliberately thumbs its nose at that stuff. A woman who disguises herself as a nun, who was raped by outlaws, yeah. who decides to seek revenge. It's going to destroy her. You know, the, I mean, she, just get back to the like the, the Peckin, like the, the movie thing though for a second. Like, I, I read a quote, and I think it was Sam Peckinpah, after he did um, The Wild Bunch, where he seriously shot it to be so violent that he thought people would get up and walk out of the theater and be horrified <clears> by <throat> violence. And instead, people just had, cheered. And were like, yes. And he, there was a great quote about how you can't save culture by coarsening it. Do you, do you agree with that or not agree with that? I don't know. I have to find out. We'll see if, you know, there's a much deeper message inside of the Tesla show than there mm-hmm. is in Two Gun None. I, I, but I think it's going to be really hard for me to get Tesla made because it's going to cost hundreds of millions of dollars. That's what the editor from the Austin Film Festival said. He's like, oh man, this is going to be an expensive show. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. Um, because the Tesla, my Tesla show is basically about the galvanization of the American industrial revolution, evolution, and how we think in our current timeline, everything's so locked in place. I mean, we all feel, but I think part of the reason there's so much turmoil right now specifically is because we're all realizing through technology that we're not actually locked. There are alternatives and we want those alternatives, but someone or something is stopping us from getting them. Mm -hmm. And when something like that happens, I think it's, it's common that people look back and go, well, wait a minute, like, where are we, you know, you why, understand why are the we past here? To, to and Tesla's story was really important. So, like, in my show, um, my show basically posits that he was gay, and that's what they used to kind of sub- subdue his greatest ideas. They basically were like, well, you know, we'll just destroy you yeah. in public. And, and, that, and that's also what, how they got him, they, they were able to kind of enlist him into working on things like the Philadelphia Project and shit like that, is that, you know, they were like, we want to use you, but um, we don't want you to do some of the things that you want to do. Like, if, if he had actually done his wireless energy program, we'd probably be in a completely different place, like, as, mm-hmm. a, as a civilization. I mean, he invented the alternating current system that we still use today. They have never come up with a better system. And so you can't think that he didn't probably have a whole bunch of other ideas that would have changed the whole world. But for some reason, none of those things were realized. Somebody stopped him from realizing those things, which is, it's an, that's an important thing to think about because when you think about that, that means that we did have a chance at the beginning to do something else, but someone or something stopped those things from happening and i think now at this current state in history that's an important thing to think about because we're reaching precipices again you know do you think that's true though like do do you you think that there's like i think it's a human 
need to feel like there's some shadowy figure behind this curtain pulling the strings. Maybe it's just our own bad decisions. Yeah, I, th I think it's our own bad decisions, but I also think, yeah, I do think it's probably simpler than everybody thinks. I mean, you know, yeah, in my... It's, it's with in your my, usual I mean, suspects poster, it's in, right? It's, it's entertainment. Like, I mean, my story is entertainment, so of course there is this shadowy kind of group, but the, it's basically just the guys that put together industry. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's Rockefeller and Vanderbilt, and, and it's simpler than you think it is because it's more about money and real estate and power than it is anything else. They're not, you know, the Knights Templar or some shit like that. There's, there's, I think in my show I kind of suggest the Illuminati theory, but I never like actually say whether or not it's real, you know. And so like I look for, you know, stuff that, that I, I think hasn't been used. Like I wrote a story called Bigfoot in Space that was about Bigfoot. <clears throat> Did he go to space? <laughs> well, so it was a cartoon, and Bigfoot, uh, he has a friend, a squirrel named Roger, and they're like best buddies, and Bigfoot and him basically decide that the world's too crowded, and that um, like they can't hide anymore, like Bigfoot's having a hard time like hiding and everything like that, and he's a loner anyway. Um, so he, he and his friend, the squirrel, Roger, they build a spaceship like out of a tree and then they take off and become space rangers. But then it ends up kind of being like Star Trek where it just keeps going and every planet that they land on kind of has a new set of problems. <clears throat> but it had like a whole format, you know, and we pitched it to Sony and we pitched it to the guy that was in charge of former ad guy, didn't get into TV shows till he was like 40 or 50 years old. Um, he was like 70. Um, his company's called Frederator. They produce Adventure Time, Powerpuff Girls, and, and a couple other big cartoons. And he stopped me in the middle of the pitch, and he's like, are you an ad guy? <clears throat> and I was like, well, I used to be. And I was like, why? And he's like, well, you pitch shows like an ad guy. And I was like, oh, great. He's like, no, it's good. He's like, I was an ad guy. He's like, I had to learn how to like do TV. He's like, this is a brilliant idea, dude. He's like, it's, it's just rock solid. He's like, we've been working with Seth Rogen, um, and like four or five other people for five years trying to develop a viable Bigfoot TV show. He's like, in that time, not once has anyone ever pitched Bigfoot as a space ranger. He's like, it's ready. It's like, he's like, as an idea, like it's, it's ready to go. He's like, the character's like totally underbaked, like one note, you know, totally what you would expect, blah, blah, blah. He's like, so just rewrite, rewrite the whole thing. He's like, or give us the concept. And I was like, uh, and I realized while I was pitching, I was like, I don't want to do a cartoon. <clears throat> so I just stopped. But Bigfoot's one of those things. But you never thought just selling the concept, just just so it got out there? Like... I'd, I'd like to. I think I'd like to go back and sell that one because I think it would be a cool show because the whole idea was <clears throat> was all about um, kind of environmentalism and and uh, global warming and all that kind of stuff. And I think it would be good a good show for kids if that stuff could be kind of baked into it, but I've got no interest in writing something that has to be topical every single week, you know? I think it would be way easier to just, like, write a story. I mean, the Tesla thing would be cool because it's it's based on history, so you can basically, you, you have something pre-existing that you can go back to. I mean, with Bigfoot in Space, it was a half-hour format, and it was weekly. I, I like that, like South Park, I have no idea how they keep that going all the time. Right. I mean, it, they must have, like... So, like, all these ideas, like, that. that are swimming around in your head, do, do you need them kept out of this because, like, someone's going to steal Bigfoot in space and then no. it'll go away? No. No? Just get, put it out there? Yeah, I mean, I think that's very amateurish. That's one thing. Well, you should know that. You write. Like, when you start writing, immediately, 
you know who's smart or good by who shares and who doesn't. People that aren't any good don't share because they think everybody's going to steal their shit. And people that are really good don't care who knows what because there's no way anybody could steal it. It's your idea. Even if somebody tried to make Bigfoot in space, it wouldn't be the same Bigfoot in space that I made. Traditionally, creative people have about a billion ideas. They might pursue a dozen, and only one or two are ever actually really going to get produced. Modern technology has totally changed that. These days, creative people can produce as many ideas as they can possibly come up with. And eventually, me and Chris got to talking about whether this was really a good thing, because it enables this sort of oversharing of big ideas, whether at the end of the day, it's just too much stuff for people to handle. It's crazy right now. They're, they're just shotgun spraying content like to, to anywhere. Well, I'm totally participating in it, right? Like I've got my, I've self-published books. Yeah. I'm in fucking advertising, so I'm basically Satan, right? I have a podcast because I think it looked fun. Like I don't like I'm res I'm responsible for all this. Like I'm participating in this glut of content that we're sort of creating, but it's I just it's too. it's too much fun. You you get to create things so fast, and yeah. you can really own them. Where traditional process is like a writer and an art director. Now there's a lot of people like you who are kind of like you're writing your own ideas and then designing stuff too. Do you ever find it hard to balance those two things? No, not really. Well, it's weird. I'm ambidextrous. I just gave a ambidextrous. I just gave a talk about this a few weeks ago about how even if you look at my uh, monitors on my desk, one of them says analytical and the other one says creative because I draw and write with my left hand, but I type and use the mouse with my right hand. Seriously? Yeah. <laughs> and so most of my graphic design is done with my right hand and almost all my illustration and writing is done with my left hand. So I can design and take notes like the same time. Um, but writing to me is the only time I'm totally immersed, you know, full brain. <clears throat> like I'm, I'm the world's most psychopathic multitasker because of the ambidextrous thing. Right. But I play sports with my right hand, but I could always switch bat. Mm -hmm. um, I wasn't very good with my left, but I could bump really good. But um, I, yeah, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that. But uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, all, that it's idea all one like... thing to me. It's always been one thing to me. What, what bothered me when I was in advertising, specifically here in Denver, like when I worked where I worked, they really hammered home that there was this huge difference between writers and art directors, which I didn't understand because I'd only ever had to just do all the work before I started working there. So to like separate it was weird to me. I was mm -hmm. like, well, how, how am I supposed to divorce the concept from the visual? Like they, they inform one another. Like I can't make something until I have an idea. Right. <laughs> design, I, I think people, there's different meanings of design. When you get older, you start to look at design in a different way. Design is like, like thinking about the problem that needs to be solved and then coming up with a solution in a way that that creates less work for everyone involved so that it doesn't have to be ever done again. And that is visual, that's everything, you know. That's why I can always go back to minimalism. Minimalism's easy to do, but it's it's easy to do if you understand it and you're good at typography, but it's the most difficult thing in the world to do if you don't have any confidence and you don't understand design. Like, nobody, people who don't have that confidence can't do minimalism because minimalism is just like doing just a couple things and then walking away, you know? And and that most people can't. Yeah, that. like most of the movies that you have around here in your studio are not are what I would dense. call. Yeah, they're dense. Like there's yeah. a lot of stuff it's going on. Because I'm an illustrator. But um 
But if you strip all that out, though, if you just take out those pictures, that poster still works. I have I have the the template. If you just look at right. the typography that says Mad Max without any images in it and Fury Road with the copy block at the bottom, it still looks like a really cool poster. So I, I always design it first. It'll be like that with Sin City if you take all those images out and it's just him sitting in that electric chair. It'll, it'll still be a cool poster. See, what you're saying is that when you put this together, you took John Wick or Mad Max, you laid it out, and then you just sort of started layering stuff in. I just kept layering and layering into It's basically that. like I design it and then hire myself as the illustrator. Right next to that Mad Max poster with all that hyper-violent imagery sat another poster that Chris is even more proud of. It's an illustration that he created of Bernie Sanders with the words, We Not Me, on it. If Chris is famous for anything, it's probably all the political posters he did for Barack Obama and the fact that he put so much of that art online, the layered files available for anyone to download so people could make their own mashups, their own t-shirts, their own hats. This culminated in the moment when Flava Flav was actually seen at a concert wearing one of Chris's designs on his shirt. And that's great. And it helps spread the idea. But Chris didn't ever, ever, ever actually make any money from those designs, and so I started talking to him about the idea that, hey, art is all well and good, but sooner or later, we've got bills to pay. How do you turn art into money, and is that even a worthwhile goal for somebody who wants to make their living changing culture? That's the, at the base of what's wrong with our entire culture, is that, you know, yes, I still believe in a free market economy, and I always will, but... I've always said ever since I was like a little kid that, that a civilization is like an organism that at a certain point has to realize that collectively and it has to survive collectively. Like it, it can't, it'll fail if it, if it is, is in parts, you know? And like America has championed this like hardcore individualism kind of against all odds, like culture for a long time. And, and it's competitive and it's, it's counterintuitive to like how we're biologically designed. Like right. people are made to be empathetic. They're made to help each other. If you put a crying baby in the street, it won't take very long before somebody will come out of somewhere and be like, Oh my God, whose kid is this? I mean, we were supposed to help each other. Like that's what we're supposed to do. But we have a whole system that, that makes us compete with one another, which is not how we're supposed to be. Creative people seem to have a motor that'll keep them going almost forever. Computers, however, do not, and the truth is my battery died before the conversation did. I don't know that we really succeeded in breaking down John Wick or Mad Max or really almost anything else. I do think, though, that if nothing else, our conversation proves that optimism delivers. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.